All right, all right, all right. How's everyone doing today? Uh, that's all right. All right well, hopefully we get better. All right, open up your guys' Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Yeah, like you guys, uh, like Tyler was saying, I got a sad text from our brother Fulton saying he's not feeling too well yesterday. So I have the pleasure of teaching this passage today. Um, so let's, uh, let me just pray for Fulton real quick, just because I know he's not feeling good. Father, we just come before you, and I, we just want to lift up Fulton to you, that you would touch his body and that you would heal him from head to toe, God, that uh, your healing power and your glory would be displayed in him. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, cool. So Romans chapter 6. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I've been in youth ministry for around like nine years, eight years on staff. And, and I love youth ministry because youth ministry is raw. Um, it is real It is real stuff. I mean, kids are coming in, especially kids from the community. Um, you know, and they're asking the tough questions, the things that I like to call Christianese. Yeah, it doesn't really work on them. So like, you know, my, I ask them, hey, how's your walk doing? They're like, dude, Danny, we're not old like you. We don't go on walks, you know, we run. Um, they, they don't know what I mean by that, right? And I, I just love their, their rawness. Um, they're straight. But the cool thing is, is it forces us to explain things, walk through things, kind of dissect things um, that adults will just typically like nod and smile. Like even though you don't understand, you're like, oh, yeah, you know. Uh, that doesn't work with uh, youth. And uh, I mean, like if you'll be in the middle of a sermon and a kid will literally just raise their hand and go like, I don't get it. Like, what are you talking about, you know? You're like, okay. Um, right, youth ministry is hardcore. And so if, you need, if you're not doing too good in the teaching, I mean, they'll straight pass out. Like right in the middle of youth group. I mean, adults don't do that, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and and uh, they, they ask the tough questions. And that's what we'll be talking about today. They ask the tough questions, which I like. Like, you know, why is drinking bad when Jesus drank? Huh? Huh? Right? How far can you go with your girlfriend before marriage? Uh, as long as it's not sex, we're good, right? Like, we get that a lot. Um, you know, adults won't ask. They don't want to know. They just, like, they just go with it. And it's like, they just, like, feign ignorance. Like, we don't know. We don't know, right? So at least the kids are asking. Um, a question that I get a lot is, if I'm saved, why do I still struggle with sin? I'm going to knock these things down. If I'm saved, why do I still struggle with sin? Right, or, or, or why do I keep struggling with the same sin over and over? Am I still saved? I used to do a campus ministry called Christians on Campus. And, you know, I'd be preaching the gospel and all these kids just coming in for the free pizza. I'm like, sweet. And, you know, I'm just giving them Jesus. And I would do, like, altar calls and ask people, hey, who wants to receive Jesus? You know, and be the same kids coming in every week, raising their hand over and over and over, you know. And, and you know, they're trying to get resaved, But there really is no getting resaved in Scripture. It's a one-time redeeming, rescuing, renewing, and securing in the Holy Spirit until we get to glory. And so trying to explain that to kids who are struggling with sin, I'm like, hey, you guys are adults. We need explaining as well. So how about us? Any of us uh, ever struggle with sin? Right? Anybody struggle with sin? Oh, a couple honest people in the room. I like that. Oh, uh, yeah, we, we struggle with sin, right? And here's the thing. If we've been saved, right, we've been freed from sin, like we'll be seeing uh, more next week, why do we still struggle with it? Or how about this question? If I'm saved and all my sins are forgiven past, present, and future, why don't I just keep on sinning? Like why does it matter since I'll be okay in the end? Or even better, if God is glorified by showing grace to me when he forgives me, well, shouldn't I just keep on sinning that God's grace may abound? It's such a youth group question, but I love it. And, and Paul got this question, um, and that's what we're going to be addressing here in Romans 6. So if you hang with me, we will not only see how we still struggle with sin, but why the struggle is actually a good thing. And, uh, and, and we will not only see why we shouldn't keep sinning, but how to have victory in it. And so look down with me, Romans 6. We're going to read the whole shebanga. And I do have it up here for those of you who have not yet um, Become accustomed to bringing a Bible, but I will encourage you guys to bring a Bible. And I'm even good 
I've uh, evolved. I'm even good with you using your phone. Wow, I know. It's okay. Just because, you know what, life is life. Um, but just, I mean, I've, I've gone all the way to just giving you the passages because I love you. But I would encourage you guys, bring your Bible. All right, here, it's, here it goes. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we no longer will be slaves to sin." For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, then we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sins once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father... We just thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us in Jesus, in the word, through your spirit this morning. We pray, God, that you would open up our eyes and our heart to what you would have for us this morning. Lord, where I am weak, would you be made strong. Where I am deficient, Lord, would you be sufficient. Lord, and would you teach us through your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that our lives would change and transform into the likeness of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So here we go. Quick uh, quick little recap. We've been walking in Romans. And Paul has been kind of laying out this kind of big uh, thesis or argument of just the faith, of the Christian faith. Right. And so we've been seeing this from Romans 1. Right, that there's a God who created us to know him, love him. We've rebelled. We, we decided not to know him and live for him, right. We've, so we started worshiping ourselves, worshiping created things. And so we started living in sin. And the Bible says that in God's wrath, he gave us over to what we wanted. He said, you, you want to sin? You have it, right. And that is the consequence, one of the consequences of our sin. So we're, we're wrestling this, we're struggling with this. And it says that, that, that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it's chapter 3, we're kind of seeming a little hopeless. But that it says, but God being rich in mercy with the great love he loved as well as his Ephesians. Um, but that while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus to die for us. That God made a way. And so we learned through chapter 4 and chapter 5 that there is nothing that we could do. To get to God. So he had to come to us. There's no amount of good works that can save you. This was a jab in the stomach to anyone who thought they could just obey the law and get in God's good graces. But God's like, no, you can't just live a good life or obey the law perfectly because one, that's impossible. And it just won't happen. So Jesus did it for us. So all we need to do is actually trust in Jesus' righteous life and death and resurrection. Turn from sin, turn to him, and we are saved. That is good news. And people are like, man, this is great. Like, I can't do it. My works, like, won't even amount to anything. So, well, shouldn't I just keep on sinning if, like, God's grace is shown in his, like, forgiveness and redemption? Like, Christ did it all anyways. So why, why shouldn't I just keep on living the life I want to live? And so Paul responds to this. And his first point is that we have died to sin and been made alive in Christ. You guys ever uh, pretended to be something you're not? Pretended to be something you're not. Um, yeah, back in my day, they called that being a poser. Um, and so, I mean, for, so there was a time in my life where everybody, like, skateboarded, right? So all the kids, they're all skateboarding. Not everyone, but they look, they wanted to skateboard. And so all the, like, all the rave in fashion was to, like, dress in skater clothes. So, I mean, I did the same thing, right? I had, like, my, like, my, like, long skate shorts and my cool skate, you know, shirt. I had, like, etnies. You guys remember etnies? Yeah, 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 right? I had my etnies on. I'm like, oh, but did I skateboard? Uh, no, right? And so, and then so people, you know, they, they were nice to me, but actually I didn't skateboard um, I actually scootered. I don't know why I'm telling you guys this. But, yeah, so, um, you know, like the little razor. I mean, it was worse than being a poser. Like, I just, 
Anyways, anyways, you guys, you guys get it, right? And so I was pretending to be something I was not, right? I was pretending to be something I was not. And what Paul is saying here is how shall we who died to sin still live in it? He's saying, yo, Romans, I've been hearing some stuff. You've been pretending to be something you're not. You've been pretending to be dead, yet you're alive. See, you've been doing things that dead people do. Yeah, you've been in sin. See, they've been posing as those who haven't been made alive. They were pretending. They were playing dead. See, we do this every time we give in to sin instead of living into our identity in Jesus. Here's what this looks like, okay. So, so you give your life to Jesus. You say you want him to be the Lord of your life yet. But when things don't go your way, you're still angry at people. You're still spewing venom. You still tear people down with your words or complain or talk behind people's back. And Paul's saying, hey, why are you still living in deadness? You've been made alive. That's not who you are anymore. Or when that attractive person walks past you or that provocative post or video shows up on your screen, right, you take that second glance or you let that moment kind of linger. You let your mind take that thought wherever it wants. You're pretending. That's not who you are. Or when you're around your unsaved friends and family, instead of being a light and you end up compromising and just doing what they're doing to, to fit in and be accepted. Talking how everyone else talks in the office or on the field or on the yard. And Paul's saying, why are you going back to dead living? That's not who you are. In that moment, we're posing. And Paul is saying that you've died to that life. You've died to sin. So, so what does died to sin mean? Right? It, oh, the answer's up there. <laughs> okay, it means that in the moment you become a Christian, you are no longer under the reign, the ruling power of sin. We've died to its power over us. See, uh, Mike just taught last week in uh, chapter 5, it said that, that sin reigned, but so also grace might reign. So what this is showing is that, that sin still has power, but it can no longer force its demands upon you. Right, before Christ, we couldn't not sin. It was our nature. Right, that's all we could do. We couldn't even put up a fight. See, our old life, our old selfish desires ruled over us. And then we, we didn't even, we couldn't even really see it. We didn't know it was even sinful. Just living for ourselves, our wants, and our will. Right, that was normal. Right, berating people with critical words, being unforgiving and bitter, consumed with envy. All these things that, you know, we could maybe struggle with. But that was completely normal when we were without Christ. We were dead and we were comfortable in our deadness. And even if we could see it, we did not have the power to resist them. We were completely under the control of our desires. But see, because we've been made alive in Christ, sin can no longer dominate us. Right? Sin still has power, but we have a greater power in us. When we come to Christ, we are given the power, the ability to overcome sin. So having died to sin does not mean that sin no longer is within you or that has, it doesn't have any power or influence within you because it does. It just means it can't demand you and you have to obey it. You've died to sin, so it can be dead to you. But will you, will you walk in that? So another thing, like, like youth ministry, if, if I were to ask you, you know, they ask you, well, like, what is sin? Like, if I were to ask you guys this today, like, what is sin? Like, well, how would you guys respond? Well, the Bible tells us, which is nice. Uh, it says that everyone who breaks the law, in fact, oh, sorry, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. So what is sin? Lawlessness. There we go, right? It's breaking the law. Whose law? God's law. Okay, cool. So God's law. So if sin is going against God's authority and will, that means when we sin, we don't really care about his authority and will. We're actually giving something else a higher authority and obeying someone else's will. Can you guys guess who that is? Yeah. Did you, did you guys say me? Oh, that's awesome. I think somebody said me. That's great. Yeah, yourself. Um, Sin is fundamentally an orientation towards self, right? We won't let God be God of our lives. 
right? We want we run our lives our way without him. Right, we see this in the garden. I take us back here frequently because it's so important to see that in the garden that Adam and Eve tried to usurp the authority from God over their lives. That they would be in control. That they would be the, their, their own master, their own God instead of trusting and obeying their heavenly father. So when it's saying we've died to sin, like it says here in verse 6, right, it says that, that our old self was crucified with Christ. Our old self with, was crucified with Christ. Right? It means that we've died to the old selfish desires that controlled us. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, even Jesus recognized that following him means you need to deny yourself. You are not in charge anymore, but you've surrendered your life to a loving king who has better plans for you. And so, so what is, okay, so what is living for the self? What does it look like when we just want to live for ourselves? What does that look like in real life? Right, let's just, let's just imagine you and your spouse are arguing again. It doesn't happen often, of course, but you're arguing again. Um, and, and you need to defend yourself and justify yourself. So you say whatever hurtful word you need to to accomplish that. Right, I've done that. And I pray, I pray to God all the time to help me to feel like, like, Lord, help me to feel like I don't need to justify myself against my wife. Right, that I would trust in the justification that I have in Christ. So we get into arguments and we get defensive and offensive and we get into these moments because we feel like we have to justify ourselves. But in that moment, we're not resting in Jesus saying, no, you've been justified before God. So why are you trying to justify yourself to the world? So many times in our attempt to justify ourselves, we end up hurting people in the process. You said this, I said this, that's right, that's wrong. And we, and we do this because we're trying to protect the self. But when we give Christ reign of our lives... He said he's, he's justified us, that we're good in his eyes, that even if that, that person doesn't see us the way we want them to see us, God sees us rightly. So we need to step back and pray that God do a work in my heart and in their heart. Living for the self. Another way that we can see this happening is you've had a long day at work, right, you're tired and you're alone. And so you justify your sin and you tell yourself, I deserve this. I want this, and I don't care if it's wrong. And then you end up indulging in whatever pleasure your flesh wants. But if we've died to sin, we've died to selfishness. We've died to self-centeredness. Died to having, ha having to be in control all the time. Died to our, our selfish pleasures and our desires. And so the question is this. Where in your life do you see yourself still holding on to selfishness? Where do you see that flare up? Because it's typically where God is trying to do a work in our hearts. He's showing us our sin and saying, hey, we still have some work to do there. Don't run away from it. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to cover it. Because God works in the pain points and he's trying to reveal things to us in those hard places. Where are we being selfish still? Where do we find ourselves making everything about us? And getting mad at people when they don't see our, they don't, they don't agree with our worldview. Like, how dare they? They don't get it? Life's around, you know, no? Okay. How about our disordered desires? Our temptation to, to lust. The desire to give in to whatever indulgence presents itself. And Paul is saying is that we have crucified the old man. See, the person that we were before you gave your life to Jesus, yeah, they're gone. They're done. And you've been given new life in Jesus. Where you are now not enslaved to the deadly nature of self-centeredness. See, this passage right here is the most famous passage for baptism. I love it. If Verses 3 and 4, or verse 4, I mean. And, uh, and so every time I do a baptism, I actually, I read this particular passage. It's so powerful because it's symbolizing what happens in a believer's life when they give their life to Jesus. Right, they go under the water, right, being dead to sin and self. And then they come up again alive in Christ, resurrected, new life in him. It's, it's such a beautiful picture and it's right here in this chapter. See, we were at a, a summer camp this last week and one of the girls uh, told us that she wanted to get baptized. And so we got to see this live, this young lady 
wanted to declare to the world that she has died to sin and self, and she wanted to live for Jesus. And on, the, on this beautiful Hawaiian beach in this bay, you see this woman declare before man and God that she wants to live for Jesus. She doesn't want to live for the old self anymore. And that's what we see here in this passage. But see, there was a time in our life where we were run by sin, run by selfish desires, and we were okay with it because we didn't know any better. That is the only way that we knew how to live. And so we just tried to, to follow these pursuits, these selfish pursuits and desires, but they didn't actually fulfill us. See, we've, we've all experienced this to some degree. And man, these, these things, they promised a lot. Sin promises a lot. Selfish desires promise a lot. The world that lives against God, that's trying to convince you to build your own kingdom and neglect God's. Yeah, it promises a lot. But it never actually delivers on its promise. The Bible says that, the, that life apart from God, the life living for ourselves and in sin, separates us from God and leads to death. But because God loved us, in his love, he saw that we were in brokenness, right? He saw that the gap in our hearts that we're trying to fill with everything else in this world. We're running to all these different outlets trying to fill this thing that can only be filled by God. And God did something about it. It's crazy because when we're living in this life, this the old man life, we, we, like nothing really is working. We're wondering why doesn't this sinful relationship actually fulfill me? But it leaves me kind of feeling kind of empty and questioning things. Why doesn't this addiction ever actually leave me feeling fulfilled? Instead it leaves me empty and I need more and more and more to get to that same feeling. And, and, and then I get caught in this cycle. Or why does my self-centered way of relating with people keep hurting them? Hurting my friends and hurting my family, keeping people distant from me, keeping them not really wanting to, to opening, open up to me. Like, I know this. We see this. Why isn't it working? See, sin promises a lot, but it always underdelivers. Not only is the consequence of sin death and eternity apart from God, but we deal with the consequences of sin day to day. And if you are not in Christ and you're living in this world, like you're hearing this and you're like, man, I haven't given my life to Jesus. And you're hearing this, you're like, man, I, my life is full of all, everything you just said. But, but there's something in your life that's temporarily satisfying you and keeping you from turning to Jesus. Something in your life saying, well, it's not too bad because look at this. And that one thing is holding you from trusting in Christ. Maybe it's, it's being satisfied with your career and where you're at there. Satisfied with the amount of money in your bank. Satisfied with your friend group in the party scene or whatever that is. Or, or satisfied in this relationship um, that, that kind of holds you down. Or whatever that thing is, I'll tell you this. It will nev never satisfy your soul because only Christ and Christ alone can do that. All those things will end, will end and they will actually not satisfy you. Actually probably create more issues in your life. And, and where are you going to turn when the thing that you made God lets you down? The thing that, that you've turned into your God cannot save you. When, where do you turn then? God seeing all this in his love made a way. And he did something about that sin that enslaved us. Jesus Christ himself, the son of God, came down, took our sin upon him on the cross, took the penalty for our sin, rose again, and defeated sin, Satan, and death. He defeated it. This is our Jesus and, the, and this is the beautiful thing. Not only are we forgiven of our sins, but when we give our lives to Jesus, he gives us his Holy Spirit. So now we actually have power to overcome sin. We can actually walk in victory over sin. He knows that it enslaved us. Part of the reason he came and died and all that, part of the reason was so we can be freed from the power of sin. And Paul's like, why are you still living in that dead life? You've been made alive. We die to sin when we give our lives to Jesus. Like it says in verse 4, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Are we walking in newness of life? Or have we been tiptoeing back toward the dead life, kind of posing, kind of imitating in the world as something that we're really not. 
I don't know about you guys, when I was growing up, I had friends, we all have this kind of weird friends who like to go like, they, they, if they hear about of a haunted house, they like to go like hang out at haunted houses or they like to go to like cemeteries and hang out to scare themselves. You guys know those, those weird people? Yeah, yeah. So I had friends like that that would always invite me, hey, we're going to go to this haunted house or hey, we're going to go to the cemetery. And I'm like, have fun. Like that's not my scene. I never went. Um, but, but what scares you, so they like to go play at these cemeteries, right? But what scares me is that some of us still go back and we like to play around in cemeteries. Or we like to, to play around in places that Jesus has raised us from. Man, you've been raised from that. Why are you going back? Right? The cemeteries that we visit on our phone. The cemeteries we go to in our mind. The cemeteries where our coworkers like to hang by the way they talk and act. The cemeteries that you've been raised from. Don't go back. There's the dead life that God has saved you from. And sometimes you run back to it. And, and here, here's my burden. Here's a burden that I have uh, uh, that burdens me just as a pastor at this church and just as a brother to you all. Is that, that my heart is that we as Christians would walk in victory over sin. And I meet with so many people and I, and I, and I hang out with, with different people in this church. And, man, it's just wrestling with people who are walking in defeat. Man, it's, it, it burdens me. And I want to see each one of us walking in victory over sin. That we would walk in real intimacy with Jesus. That we would know God. That we would know his power. That we would walk in his grace. Knowing that we're going to stumble forward all the way to glory. Like, ain't no one perfect. We are going to fall on our face. But God's grace covers us and his spirit empowers us to keep moving forward. We know that God promises to complete the good work that he started in us. See, Paul's heart for the Romans, my heart for us, God's heart for us was that we would not go back to the things that we've died to. We've been given new life. You know that thing's not good for you. You know the way that you used to live doesn't lead to fulfillment, doesn't lead to joy, doesn't lead to peace. Quite the opposite sometimes, so don't go back there. And I feel like there's got to be people. There's got to be people in this room that are drifting and they feel it, right? People, people in here that are tiptoeing back into a life that they know they've been saved from. Right? They're going back and trying to find some kind of old comfort because they're refusing to find it in Jesus. This pastor is saying, don't go back to the things he saved you from because he knows better. He loves you because he's, he's the God of all creation. Guess what? He's adopted you, so we need to trust him. Or when he says those things are bad for you, they're going to hurt you, don't do them. When he says, hey, go do these things, we trust him and go, man, these things are probably good for my heart and for my soul. And we trust him. And we take those steps forward in the newness of life that he promised us. And I think a lot of us in here, we recognize that, man, yeah, okay, we've died to sin. I get it. I see the battle. I see the struggle. I don't want to live in it anymore. What do I do? Like, like okay, I get it. I, I can't get this forward momentum from this particular habit or thought pattern or lifestyle. So Paul gives us part of the solution here in verse 5 where it says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So our second point, why don't we keep on sinning? We are united with Christ. So let's just have some fun here. Um, it's a heavy topic, so I want to just kind of, whoo, let's breathe a little bit. Let's just say that The Rock, okay, Dwayne Johnson just gave me a call. Let's just pretend, okay. And uh, he says, like, hey, I just found out you're my last living relative. I'm like, what? I'm like, all right. Like, I mean, I'm like, all right, I'm not surprised. You know, I'm not, I'm just kidding. Um, right, and so, so everything, he says this, everything that is mine is yours. My status is yours. Just mention my name at any restaurant, any venue, like you'll just get right in. Like all my privilege, my status, and belongings are yours. But remember, you have to represent me now. You represent the family. You represent Rock, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, right? So if this really happened, I got this call. Again, wouldn't surprise me. But if it happened, right, it would change my life. It would absolutely change my life. The way that I live would, would change. I would be different. I would have a, a newfound confidence. I was like, hey, you know who my uncle is? You know, I'd be like, I'd be going around trying to like just name drop it. You know, like it would change my life. I would live in a way that reflects the family. I would probably have to hit the gym a little bit more and live up to that. But I would, I would change. And it wouldn't be forced. Like, oh, I have to go and like, you know, represent this dude. And I have to go and drive his Lamborghini in Honolulu. Boring. No, like, like, like it would be awesome. 
Right? I wouldn't be forced. It would be an honor. It would be a privilege. This is how it is when we are united with Christ. Man, if we would just get that, that we are united with Christ, that everything is, that was his is ours because of what he's done for us. And we've placed our trust in him. We're adopted. We're his brethren. We're co-heirs. And sistren, we're, we're co-heirs. We've been united with Christ. And what Paul is saying is you need to focus on that. That's the gospel, the good news. This is what helps us when we think about, man, I've been united with Christ. Why would I go back to the old life? I can live united with Jesus. When we are united with him, we're united with him in his victory over sin and death. We get his righteousness. We get his status. We get, you know, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We don't have to worry or brain about our old life and our past. That's been cleansed. That's been taken care of. We've been given a new status, a new right, a new righteousness. And we've been forgiven of all our sins. And then, yeah, co-heirs. Like, this is insane. It changes us. One author uh, puts it like this. If you are in Christ, your fundamental identity has been changed. Your identity is not defined by the sins of your past, but by the righteousness and obedience of Jesus Christ. You are not a liar, thief, adulterer, or idolater. Though you may have committed any or all these sins, this is not who you are. The old you is dead, crucified with Christ. Now joined to Christ, you are a saint, a person set apart from sin and belonging to God. See, some of us are trying to stay dead to sin, but they're not actually, like, turning and walking in the newness of life. This is what I've noticed in a lot of people's life, that I'm trying to walk in victory. They're like, okay, I'm just trying not to sin anymore. And they focus so much on just, like, fighting sin and not sinning. What, what they're forgetting to do is, no, 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 you need to turn and you need to walk in the newness of life. Like, there needs to have this, this change of direction. Because if we're just standing there and we're looking at the sin and saying, no sin, no sin, it's, it's going to be a tiring life and it will never work. So they're focused on the dead to sin part. They forget to take those steps. So you can't just put off the old self, put off the old man, put off the old clothes. No, no, no. You have to put on the new. It's the only way this works. See, we can get stuck in sin management, just dealing with sin, not realizing that it's the forward movement in pursuit of Jesus where a lot of our struggles end up in the rearview mirror. Right? It's in the forward pursuit of Jesus that those sins back there, they're not even in my view. Because I'm, I'm living with Jesus. I'm united with him. I'm united with his mission. Right? We're, we're doing new things. We're, we're, we're putting on the new. We're putting on the word of God. We're putting on prayer. We're putting on getting into fellowship more than just Sunday morning. Like we're getting into a Bible study, a, a small group, something so we can be accountable. We're putting on the new. We're putting on volunteering and ministry and serving in the body. We're, we're putting on serving those in need. New life. Right, and as we walk in our union with Christ and enjoy the newness of life, living with and for him, it is then that our thirst for sin fades and our thirst for God's glory increases. And the only way to, to even to, to do this, to walk in the newness of life, is to actually be with Jesus. To walk with him. That's why, so back to the, the youth group, like, like, how's your walk? Right, this is where I get that from. Um, how's your walk? Are you walking with Jesus? Verse 8 says that if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Are we living with Jesus or is he someone that we go to on occasion? Are we living with him, walking with him? Or is it who we are, who, sorry, who we are with, okay, who, are, who we're connected to, who we're with can drastically change the way that we see life, right, the way that we can interact with the world. Um, I told you guys recently that I started rolling jujitsu. Okay, there's another guy in this church, not Hojo, sorry. Um, there's another guy in this church who started rolling jujitsu. Um, he's not here right now, so I'll totally just name drop him. His name's Randall. Um, and he's this 6'5", 300-pound local brada, just straight kanak. I'm like, yes. And uh, he's in like, he goes to the same gym I do, and I haven't had to roll with him yet. Praise the Lord. He would crush me. Um, but, uh, uh, but the amazing thing, so I think I was thinking this, okay. In a make-believe world, let's just pretend there is a two-man jiu-jitsu competition, like a two-man a two team on two-man, right? And you have a partner and you get to go roll jiu-jitsu with people, right? If I had brought a Randall on my team, 
bro, I would be so confident. Like, anybody on the mat, I'm like, that's cute. Have you seen Randall? Like, I mean, I'll be like, this guy's big, like, big guy right here. Like, I would be stoked. Check this out. This, this, this Kanak right here, he wouldn't just be looking out. I mean, just be, like, trying to win. He'd be looking out for me because we're a team. He'd be like, oh, man, you know, he'd be, he'd be helping me where I'm weak. I'm like, yes, I got it. And this is truer in a way greater way in our union with Jesus. But are we walking with him? When Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he was speaking to his ever-present help in our battle over sin and to live in victory. See, it's our union with Jesus that empowers us to live alive. Empowers us to walk in the newness he secured for us in the cross. But here's the thing. How crazy would it be for me, okay, to show up to this competition and roll without Randall. To compete without Randall. I would get wrecked. Like, even if my jiu-jitsu is good, which it's not, I would get wrecked, right? It would be crazy for me to try to enter this, this competition without Randall. But it's even crazier is that we try to go through trials and struggles without being with Jesus. Like, he's always there for us, right? But who in here likes to try and, like, do things on their own? Right? Just me? Oh, man, I thought this was an honest place. <laughs> Awkward. No, no, it's good, right? We like to do things on our own. And so we try to walk in this newness of life without him, and we're surprised that we're still snapping at our spouse when they don't agree with us. We're treating them the way that, or not treating them the way Christ has called us to. We wonder why that, that if you're single, right, that we're like, when we battle with loneliness, that we're still, end, we still run to those dead outlets of intimacy that, that never actually satisfy and actually let us down. And we wonder why when, when we're trying to do this on our own. Or we wonder why when we're tempted to look at porn or, or watch that mature-rated TV show that you said, you told yourself you're not going to watch that anymore, but when the, when the temptation arises, you still end up doing it. We try to do life without being with Jesus. It doesn't work. So what does united with Jesus even mean outside of everything we've talked about already? And how does that help us today? Simply put, if we've given our lives to Jesus, he's given us his very spirit. He is with us at all times through the spirit of God, his spirit. Okay, Jesus tells his disciples in the book of John, he says this, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus saying, like, it's better that I leave. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In, four, in John 14, he says, And the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he'll bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Right, the Spirit's job is to bring to remembrance the things that he has taught us. In chapter 16, Jesus says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. That the Spirit's going to take what is Jesus and give it to us. That Jesus speaks to us through the Spirit of God. And what Jesus is saying is that it's better for him to leave, right, so that he could give us his Spirit. That's what he was saying to the disciples. Like, we have something better than the disciples had when they were walking with Jesus. His Spirit in us. Like, this changes everything. Everything. This very spirit that rose Jesus from the dead that secured victory over sin is the same spirit that wants to give us victory over sin. And he lives within us. The spirit not only gives us power to exercise self-control. That's a fruit of the spirit, by the way. He doesn't give us power just to exercise self-control and discipline and integrity. But he leads us into truth. See, the spirit's primary role. His primary role is to glorify Christ. And so the Spirit constantly brings our minds to the gospel, reminding us that we've been saved from sin. That's not who we are anymore. We've been given new life in Jesus. Now we're sons and daughters of the Most High God, King of kings and Lord of lords. Right? That we're heirs in his kingdom, that we've been called to co-rule and, and reign in his kingdom. We're bringing healing and peace and restoration and reconciliation into our worlds. Church, do we not see the privilege that we've been given to be united with Christ? We've been given his very spirit to do his work and will in the world. And in he, guess what? He's in the process of redeeming people back to him. And he says, come with me. Come with me. We're united to him not only in the spirit but in his mission. So he says, I know that you struggle. I know that you're a sinner, but I've saved you from your sins. I've cleansed you and I've given you my gospel. I've given you my spirit to overcome those things. So come with me. Follow me. There's work to do. 
Like this is, this is like it's when we actually follow him and his mission for our lives. We turn the opposite direction from the sin and we, and we start to be on mission with Jesus. That we start to gain grounds in our victory over sin. This is the newness of life that Jesus is calling us into. Living with him and for him. Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, we've been given his very spirit to lead us, guide us, and empower us to live the resurrected life. Um, so there's this movie called Edge of Tomorrow, and I told my wife I was going to use this, and she's like, no one's seen that movie. Like, The Edge of Tomorrow, Tom Cruise, okay, was in this movie. So Tom Cruise, we all know Tom Cruise, okay. Just pretend if you have never seen it. Um, he was in this movie, and it's this war movie, kind of futuristic movie. And what happens is as he's going through his day, he dies in war. He dies in battle. But then just like Groundhog Day, he wakes up again, and it's the same day. And so he's learning, oh, okay, I, when I did this, I died, so I'm going to do this, and I'll live. Right, and then so he'd try to keep going, get as far as he could in his day, but then he'd die again in battle. He'd wake up, it's the same day. He's like, okay, he's starting to figure out what he needs to do to live and what choices lead to death, right? And so he'd do this day after day. See, check this out. The resurrected life, it's the same for us. We know what death is like. We know what choices lead to death, and we know what choices lead to life. We've been resurrected. We're like, man, look at that dead life over there. That's not me anymore, but I know it. I know, the, I know the way it works, so I'm going to choose, choose the, the path of life. I'm going to choose the choices that lead to life. Because we knew what that was like. We knew what not being able to say no to that habit that controlled us was like. We knew where too much time on our phone alone leads to. So we're like, oh, we're not going to, that doesn't lead to life. Right, we know what lies the, thro the enemy throws at us to make us insecure and upset and lonely that leads us to doing things we know that don't honor God. We know that. Well, no, I remember those attacks. I remember that, and I just gave in to them back in the day. But now, resurrected power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to choose life. We know the place that we, that we used to go in our head for too long and where that takes us. We, we know what, what would happen when we'd allow our old self tendencies to constantly fight and defend ourselves and justify ourselves. We know what it did to the relationships around us. So we're like, see you there. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose life. I'm going to step back, pray, trust God. We've seen what happens. We've been resurrected from the dead life. Right? We have our, our personal guide and power to navigate us through daily battles in the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit of God within us, right, it, like, it's, it's, it's what empowers us to overcome sin. See, check us out. Sin may seem too powerful to resist, but that's not the case. We are children of God and we can exercise our authority over our sinful desires. The Spirit of God, it, it gives us a desire to do what is right. So you feel that prompting and that moment of temptation to do what's right? Yeah, that's the Spirit prompting you to do what's right, and then it opposes our old sinful desires to do what's wrong. Right, we know this, and so our job is to follow the Spirit. But imagine a child being taught to paint by his father. The father wraps his hand around his sons, and he's guiding each stroke of the brush. The Spirit of God is, is God's guiding hand in our lives. Whenever we want to do the wrong thing or react in the wrong way, the Spirit kind of opposes that desire and prompts us away from it. Right? And, and we need to be led by the Spirit. And whenever we want to do the right thing, that's the Spirit at work. Right? So when we feel this conflict, go with the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. Follow those Spirit-prompted desires. Jesus has given us himself in the Spirit to help us in our battles and our struggles over sin. And so will we surrender to Jesus? Will we go to him? Will we pray to him? Will we bring our thoughts to him? And our final point, why we should not continue in sin, is because we have a new nature and a new pattern in Christ. Romans 6, 10, verse 11 says this. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, when a non-Christian sins... They're acting in accord with their identity, with their nature. It's who they are. Why wouldn't they sin? 
But when someone is united to Christ, everything changes. Because who they are changes. Their nature changes. Right? There's a new me. And so when a Christian sins, they're acting against their new nature. So, so why then sin? Right? So when I sin, it's, it's not because, not really because I, I don't realize who I am, but it's more I've forgotten what Christ has done for me and the new nature he's given me. So we've been talking about the struggle with sin. And my hope today is, is, that, is that you know what I'm talking about, right? That you don't just roll over to it, right? That you're not just giving into it, that you're not living in it, but like Christ, you've died to it and living to God. The struggle against sin is evidence of your new nature. Why? Why is that evidence? Because that's not who you are anymore. So the struggle itself goes like, oh, man, I'm struggling. That's good for you. Like, be encouraged in that. Right, because that's not who you are, so it's not feeling comfortable. If you belong to Jesus, you will not feel comfortable going back to sin. Right, if you get tempted, okay, this is what happens. This is how it goes down. If you get tempted to sin, to do something you know you shouldn't, okay, that God's like, ah, 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 right. There's warning signs from the Holy Spirit, like, ah, ah, ah. Like, we get these warning signs, right, like, like, and you know it in your heart, right. You're like, hey, don't say that. Hey, don't do it, right. Like, hey, you should stop while you can, right. There's these, these phrases that we're getting, like, like stop, halt, don't, go the other way. There's these promptings from the spirit. We feel them. Right? Here we have the opportunity to pray, ask God for his help, and walk away in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we give in, okay, as a Christian we're going to give in sometimes. Um, if we give in, it will probably feel good temporarily. But it will be immediately followed up by a conviction by the spirit. That says that, that that's not what you should have done. You've sinned. And that this should lead us to repentance. Okay. This is what happens when we sin as Christians. This is what it should look like. There should be a struggle. Now if there's not a struggle for you, I just described something that you have no idea what I'm talking about. And you don't wrestle with sin. And maybe today you are realizing that maybe you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you're still in charge of your life. You haven't trusted in Christ. You haven't received his forgiveness. You haven't been given new life. And my prayer is today that you will realize that Jesus came for you. He came for you. He came for me. The word says that he didn't come for the righteous, but he came for the sinners. That's good news because that's all of us. And my hope is that you would surrender your life to him, turn from sin, and make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. But for every follower of Jesus here, in these two verses, we are being shown the pattern for our new nature. Right? It's found in Jesus. Right? So like in, this ver in these verses, it says in verse 10, since he died to sin once and for all and lives to God, then verse 11, we should be dead to sin and live to God. He did it, so we should do it. We imitate Christ's pattern. And if we're all, but if we're all honest, there are times that we believe that, you know what, sometimes it's kind of justified for us to sin. Sometimes it's okay, right? Like, you know what, I deserve it or they deserved it, whatever that looks like, right? And we fall into this faulty thinking, but we need to look to Jesus as our pattern, right? When we feel like we're justified in our sin, when we feel like we're justified in, in backbiting that person or gossiping over here, when we feel justified by giving in to that temptation because we deserve it or we're alone, we feel justified in tearing someone down because of their behavior or they offended us. In that moment that we feel like we are justified in our sin, we need to look to Christ as our example. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24 says this. For you have been called for this purpose, Christian, this is to all of us, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. This is the gospel. If we are struggling with sin, struggling in relationships, struggling in our own time, we need to look to the cross. We need to look to Jesus. We need to look to his example because we cannot do it without him. We cannot do it without setting our eyes on Christ who had every right to judge and display his wrath when he was going through these things, but he didn't. He could have righteously, but he didn't, leaving us an example, showing how it's done. He entrusted himself to God who was a just judge 
Right? We see that our sins aren't worth it, but it's through love and forgiveness and grace and relationships that we are struggling in that we will find healing and freedom. Christ is our example. He entrusted us, he entrusted himself to the Father. He lives for the glory of God. When it says that, that one verse, that, and he lives to God, he lives for the glory of the Father. He said in John that everything I do while I'm here on earth I've done for the glory of God. And then he says, imitate me. That we would, as he lives to God, we live to God. We live for God's glory. This is the essence of our new nature. We no longer live for our glory but his. That is our end, his glory. To see Christ honored and exalted in our lives. That we would not continue in sin. Why would we? That doesn't glorify God. It goes against our nature. So we stop living for ourselves. We stop living for sin. Because we're like, oh yeah, I've been saved from that. Like, I've been saved. Like, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the very power that rose Christ from the dead wants to raise you to a fuller life in Christ today. People who are like, man, I've given my life to Jesus. I know that I'm saved. But I feel like I'm slowly sinking spiritually. I feel like I'm drifting. I feel like the old, this old sin is turning its head. I feel like I'm slowly stopping breathing. And I need a new fresh breath of the Holy Spirit to restore me in my life with Christ. I need his power to help me overcome this. I feel, I feel this is creeping back in in my life. I know God saved me from this. I don't want to go back to it. I don't want to entertain it anymore. I don't want to entertain these thoughts. I don't want this toxic attitude towards this relationship anymore. I do not want this. I need healing. I need restoration. And I know it starts with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life. And if that is you today, and you realize that you want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, you need a fresh dose of God's grace in, God, in the gospel through prayer, do not leave here without being prayed for. Every week we have two corners you could go to where people stand and say, who needs prayer? People go. There's over 100 and plus people in this room. We all need prayer. We all need more of the Holy Spirit if we want to have victory over sin. Do not leave here without getting prayed for by your friend or by someone else that you don't even know. Just say, hey, I need prayer. Maybe some of you feel dead in your relationship with Jesus. And you just need Jesus to raise you completely today. You need the spirit of God to raise you today. If that's you, don't leave without getting prayed for. God is so faithful. And in his faithfulness and his love, he covers us with grace and the righteousness of Jesus. So as we stumble forward towards glory, towards eternity, we can have faith that God has us securely in his hands. And we live from a place of grace. We live from a place of acceptance. And as we live for God and we strive towards holiness and we live for his glory in the ups and downs of life. We look to him and we, we rely on his strength and the power of the spirit. And so this morning, God wants to remind every one of us who calls himself a Christian that we have died to sin, that we've been made alive in Christ. We are now united with him. He's given us his very spirit and he's given us his pattern to follow. And he says, come, follow me. Let us walk in the newness of life that Jesus offers. Let us walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And let us walk in the grace given in the gospel. Amen.